Hello, you are listening to UCCS Radio Sports, and you are now listening to Runners in Scoring Position. Congratulations, you made it. Congrats. I'm Nate Jones. With me, as always, is my co-host with the most. Charlie, how are you doing today? What's up? Uh, you know, the sky's usually that's, up. But... That's good. Yeah, <laughs> never heard that one, Nate. <laughs> you know? All right. <laughs> so if you haven't listened to our show before, we're a baseball-centered podcast slash sports radio talk show. And we're going to start with our Round the Horse segment where we just talk the latest, not always greatest news in Major League Baseball. If you want to start us off, Charlie? Yep, we're going to start. Cleveland Indians right-hander Corey Kluber has a non-displaced fracture of his right ulna after he was hit on the arm Wednesday night by Miami Marlins outfielder Brian Anderson. Initially, the Indians diagnosed him saying he had a right forearm contusion, but later the x-rays revealed far worse news a fracture. His arm was placed in a cast and he's flying back to Cleveland today to get it reevaluated. And once he gets it reevaluated in Cleveland, then the Indians will have a better idea of how long Kluber is actually out. But for those of you who saw the video, um, it was obviously an ugly scene for those of you who didn't. Essentially, Kluber pitched a fastball right down the middle. And as simple as it sounds, Brian Anderson just hit it back right into his forearm. And no matter how strong and tough you are, that would hurt like crazy. Yep. And Kluber, who's a two-time AL Cy Young winner, hasn't had a great year so far, Nate. He allowed eight hits, three runs, and four and two-thirds, leaving his ERA at 5.8. Right now, if I'm an Indians fan, I'm a little concerned. Because I have Kluber out right now, and Mike Clevenger is going to be out until June with a back injury. And Jose Ramirez isn't too hot right now. And Kipnis is coming back from injury, but truly the only guy who I am looking forward to right now is Francisco Lindor, and their bullpen seems to be doing pretty strong. But for a Twins, as a Twins fan, this is a good sign. Um, you know, now obviously not the injury standpoint, but the Indians slowing down helps the Twins, who seem to be on a hot yeah. start, you know, a hot streak as of late. Uh, but hopefully Kluber comes back sooner rather than later for indians fans but the injury did not look good yeah all right so the next bit of news miami marlins outfielder lewis brinson was optioned tuesday to triple a new orleans the latest setback for the team centerpiece in the christian yelich trade brinson is hitting 197 with 28 strikeouts and 76 at bats for the marlins who have the worst record in the majors shocker there uh he batted 199 last year in his first season with miami and missed two months because of a hip injury the Marlins reinstated outfielder Garrett Cooper from the 10-day injury list. He has been their opening day right fielder the past two years, but because of injuries, Tuesday night's game was just his 18th since the beginning of 2018. Brinson, now only 24, was a highly regarded prospect when acquired in the trade. That sent Yelich to the Milwaukee Brewers for four prospects before the 2018 season. Yelich was the NL MVP last year and ranked among the major league leaders this year and batting home runs in RBIs. I think people always considered the Marlins the biggest losers in this trade, but reading all of that just gives you a bigger scope of how much the Brewers got for how little they gave yeah. the Marlins. And you can even argue how much the Marlins are mismanaging their talent yeah. that they got from all this. Because going back from the trade, and I believe Nate and I, we talked about, we recapped this trade. Um, but Brewers obviously get Christian Yelich. That's the only piece they got from the Marlins. And the Marlins in return got Lewis Brinson, who Nate just touched on, 
Uh, prospect outfielder Monty Harrison, second baseman Isan Diaz, and right-handed pitcher Jordan Yamamoto. Uh, out of those guys, Brinson is the one who's actually producing right now at a major league level. I think, you know, I I could not fairly judge this trade right now because three out of the four pieces aren't even in the majors yet and yep. haven't made their debut. So I would wait a little bit, but Christian Yelich is a stud. I mean, he's contending for another NL MVP run this year again. He was so hot in April. I don't know if he's cooled down in May or not, but he just seems to keep on going, and there's no end in sight, really, for Yelich. Uh, Brinson, you know, has kind of had a rough start. He was with the Brewers, you know, for a while, you know, had some AAA, and he was actually out here in Colorado Springs for a few years before they turned to the rookie ball team. But he didn't ever see a lot of time in Milwaukee. And I think that was because just of their outfield, the way they had it, um, they had guys like, you know, Yelich there and that was before he came, but you know, guys like Braun were there and they had that outfield set and Brinson was truly never really ready to take that outfield role, but we'll see. And the Marlins are just a disaster yet again. And Nate, you know, Nate said, Oh, that's obvious. And it is, but I think there's something else that needs to be, evaluated too and they actually won yesterday oddly enough giving them their ninth win of the year very nice and it's not good it's not looking good but like i've said with every developing team they have young prospects they have time to turn it around and make it better they just need to actually do that yep turn it around make it better because it's not going well and you know I think maybe they make a change at manager, but I think it's beyond Don Mattingly's control. I think it's change in baseball ops. You know, would that be moving Michael Hill? Yeah. Or evaluating, you know, their current stance on analytics or evaluating their current stance on how to address player selection. Because again, this year they'll have another top pick, another yep. top five pick in the NFL, and I was going to say NFL, NBA <laughs> draft and, you know, likely with the way they're going this year, they'll have another top five pick next year. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I just you feel bad for all of the Marlins guys and all of these got and all of the players on this team who are just bursting with talent, but they can't get to show it. Yeah. So Nate, I'm gonna kind of tangent off, and then we'll hit the yeah. second point. Would you, as a GM or president of Baseball Ops, yep. trade Mike Trout from the Los Angeles Angels? Because right now they're sitting in the bottom half of the AL, and they're not even contending in the AL West. If I would, I wouldn't do it until year five of his newest deal. I think, I I don't know. One, they're the ones that signed him to the gigantic deal, and they might have to live with not being able to get the free agents and the pieces they need to surround Mike Trout, but also. Really, you can take a look at their scouting department because obviously the farm system isn't producing mm-hmm. phenomenal players either that can help support Mike Trout. It's a really interesting question. I think no. And mainly because if I'm a GM, having the best player in baseball kind of keeps your job a little safer than most. And you don't worry as much about what's going to happen to you because you he just signed the best player in baseball so he's not really concerned about that now i think there is a chance that at some point in his career mike trout 
will be like, I'm tired of losing. I want to win. I want to try to win a World Series championship. Trade me. I hope he thinks that now. Yeah. And I think also it's partially Mike Trout's fault because maybe he went in to the deal and signed that contract thinking that the Angels are going to make moves to build around him. And in the past seven, eight, nine years since he debuted with the Angels, in no way have they done that. They have not done that. I mean, Shohei Otani, I guess, but you need more than one piece to win a World Series title. I mean, nope. at the Angels' standpoint, at least. I think you're right. But right now, the Angels are sitting fourth out of five teams in the AL West, 14 and 17. Not a great start. I think, I almost think of it out of respect. You know, you trade him because you're wasting a generational talent in a team that's never going to get above fourth place the way they are right now. If you think about it, I mean, respectfully, I would say, okay, this guy's a once in a generational talent. We get prospects, we get other veteran players, and we bring them in. Because imagine the trade haul you're going to get from Mike Trout. Unbelievable trade haul. I mean, you're going to get top prospects on top prospects on top prospects. Yep. If I were a GM, if I were Billy Epler right now, Billy Epler, the GM for the Angels, I would have traded him. I would have got rid of him because it's it's not like he's bad. And Mike Trout, you know, undoubtedly has never... Had a bad season, really. He's never been bad. That's the thing with Mike Trout. I I would have got rid of him and traded him and let him let his talent go somewhere else where it's actually going to be wanted. Because I would say, if he was with the Phillies or the Yankees, they would have won World Series titles by now. Yeah. Because if you think about it, the only year he didn't get an All Star appearance was his rookie year in two thousand eleven, yeah. and he only played forty games. But every other year. All-star, 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 dating all the way back to 2012. Yeah. And he's only 27, so really the best time to trade him is now because he's only going to get older. Yeah. So I would trade him, but we'll see. I We'll see what the Angels do. I don't think – I think what you said is going to be more accurate. I don't think they trade him until uh, you're a little deeper into the contract just to see how he plays out and see if they need to reevaluate, but yeah. we'll go from there. So, our second topic of the day, the Cincinnati Reds could bring up Nick Sensel before Friday's homestand opener against San Francisco, putting the 23-year-old outfielder in position to make his major league debut against the San Francisco Giants. Sensel, who is ranked as baseball's number six prospect by ESPN's Keith Law, was the second overall pick in the 2016 amateur draft from Tennessee and signed a $6.2 million bonus. Nate, that sounds pretty good right now. I can yeah. take $6.2 million. Oh, We could split that. We could. Sensel <laughs> sprained his right ankle during a minor league spring training game on March 25th and didn't make his spring training and didn't, excuse me, didn't make his season debut at AAA Louisville until April 23rd. Entered Tuesday hitting 296 with one double, one homer, and two RBIs in six games and 27 at-bats, including three hits, a two-run homer, and what else? There's nothing else on Tuesday night <laughs> against Toledo. He played third, shortstop, and second for transition outfielder this year. So, Nate, Nick Sensel is a utility guy, and we've been talking about this name, and the Reds have been talking about this name yeah. for quite a long time, ever since he's been drafted, just waiting for him to come up. I think he's going to come up sooner rather than later. Um, it looks like, according to sources right now, he will be called up tomorrow. Okay. 
I think it's the right move. I think at the Reds, this point, they need all the help they can get, right? I mean, you, yeah. just, you think about you think about the Reds, and they have the pieces, and you there's, know they're in last yeah. place right now, but 13, again, 18. it's early. Yeah, right? and there's a lot of room. It's kind of congested there in, in El Centro right now. And, yeah, and to be fair, the red, not to interrupt you, Yeah. the NL Central is always congested. There's <laughs> always something going on. Yeah. yeah. No, they're they're only seven and a half games back from first. That's not like the nearest team. They're only seven and a half back from the Cardinals. So, yeah. And sometimes all you need is that spark, you know? A seven and a half games is basically a seven and a half game homestand. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you think about it, if you win six games and... St. Louis wins win. maybe three yeah. of their six, then you're up three games already. I suppose you're playing St. Louis in any of that homestand too. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's and especially and that'll prove to be even more pivotal in August and September when more of the divisional games start to come out. Yeah. You see a lot of the divisional. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Next bit of news: San Diego Padres star Fernando Tatis Jr. is expected to miss several weeks after being placed on the injury list on Tuesday with an ailing hamstring. Manager Andy Green made the announcement before the game against the Atlanta Braves. The 20-year-old shortstop injured his left hamstring on Sunday at Washington after doing an awkward-looking split while trying to stretch for a throw at second base. An MRI revealed the strain, but no structural damage. Manny Machado moved from third base to short, shortstop while Tatis is out, allowing Ty France to take over at third. We talked about last week about how the San Diego Padres might be the team of the future. And they really look like it right now as you're paying more and more attention to them. Hopefully they get healthy. I just think these next couple years are just going to, they remind me a little bit of the Astros before the Astros became kind of dominant where it's like, okay, this is a good looking team. They have a lot of good pieces. What other pieces do they need? And I think that's what they're figuring out right now. And yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, they're third in the NL West right now. Which is big. That's honestly that's better than I thought they'd be. I thought it would be Dodgers, Rockies, maybe Padres at three, and then Diamondbacks, Giants. But right now it's Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Padres, Rockies, Giants. Um, not really surprised about where the Giants are right now. I'm very surprised about where the Rockies and D-backs are. Honestly, yep. I would have flip flopped those two. Rockies fifteen and seventeen right now, not looking too good in their past few games. Um, although they have gone six and four in their last ten, they just haven't looked like they had that same spark yeah. as they have, which is disappointing. Uh, this weekend, the Rockies are playing the D-backs, though, so they have a potential to gain a few games, and especially if the Padres kind of go quiet here in the next three to four games, they have a potential to jump up a couple spots. But going back to your point about Team of the Future, 100% agree in the NL that the Padres are the Team of the Future. I mean, they have... All of the pieces. They have Tatis Jr. They have Machado for the next 10. They have Luis Urias. They have pitching. I mean, we've seen Chris Paddock go from a guy who could barely get above double A last year, get drafted, and now he's starting consistently in majors, which is phenomenal. Um, I could see them overtaking the Dodgers. I wouldn't say this year. I would say maybe when Clayton Kershaw is starting to get on the decline, that's when I think you'll start to see some you know, adjustments in the NLS yep. standings for years to come. But Padres definitely a team of the future. I think this Tatis Jr., you know, several weeks, that's not great. No. But they can, I mean, they can work around it too. Yeah. So. I agree. Uh, Ichiro Suzuki has rejoined the Seattle Mariners as a special assist, assistant to the chairman, 
not not assistant to the regional manager, but special <laughs> assistant special to assistant. the chairman. Yep. Uh, and work will work as an instructor with both the major league clubs and some of the organization's players in the minors. Uh, that could be including top prospects, guys who are extended spring training in Peoria. You know, a mix, I would say. Uh, Suzuki was in the Mariners clubhouse on Tuesday before opening a series against the Chicago Cubs. Suzuki retired from baseball last month during Seattle's opening two-game series in Japan versus the Oakland Athletics, but was expected to continue to have a relationship with the organization. I saw a video the other day of Suzuki actually pitching batting practice to Kyle Seager, which I thought was cool. Kyle Seeger has obviously been out of the news lately just because he hasn't been producing that well. And really, going into this, we thought Kyle Seeger was going to be the better producing brother rather than Corey Seeger. Yeah. Because everyone thought, oh, Kyle Seeger for the Mariners is going to be great. But frankly, Nate, it's been quite opposite. Yeah. Corey Seeger has been that guy where you put him at short, you put him at second. He thrives either way fielding and has a great bat. Obviously, was hindered last couple years with Tommy John surgery and rehabbing from that, but now he looks to be fully healthy and taking the Dodgers nation by storm. Yep. Uh, as far as our story here, but Ichiro Suzuki is great. I think he, I hopefully he stays around Seattle forever. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, as a lot of these Japanese players tend to do once their career is over, they tend to go back to Japan and we never see him again. Yeah. I was hoping that was not the case with Ichiro, although some allies were reporting gone to Japan and then would come back for his Hall of Fame induction ceremony. But it looks like he'll be a lot more involved with the Mariners and yeah. a lot more involved you know, on the ground, which is great um, because yeah. we need that. And Ichiro just means so much to baseball and he means so much to baseball now, even out of it. So, yeah. You know, Nate, you're going to like this last around the horn. <laughs> Yeah, so this last bit of news before I take a quick break here. A bowl game to be played at Boston's Fenway Park will be one of three bowls to be added in 2020. Stadium reported Tuesday. The game at Fenway Park will put a team from the Atlantic Coast Conference against one from the American Athletic Conference, according to the report. Fenway will become the third Major League Baseball park to host a college football bowl game, joining Yankee Stadium, which hosts a new era pinstripe bowl. And Chase Field, the home of the Arizona Diamondbacks, which hosts the Cheez-It Bowl. This is, I have mixed feelings about putting football games in baseball stadiums. But I think Fenway Park is small enough. This is actually kind of cool because it's not as bad of a seat as Yankee Stadium. I don't know how you see anything on the field Uh where they play it. but It's massive. It's massive. And Chase Field, I think, is I've never been there, but I feel like it's probably the same way. So I think this is pretty great. I know Harvard and Yale have played last year. They played at Fenway Park. So this is not new territory for Fenway Park. It's pretty cool to have a bowl game there. They do all sorts of weird athletic stuff in the offseason at Fenway Park. Yeah. They had like an ice skating thing there this past winter. All sorts of stuff happened at Fenway Park. If you no. follow Fenway Park on Instagram, you can get all those plug. beats and more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this is cool. I mean... You know, the Boston nation loves sports. Yeah. Fenway Park's going to sell out either way. I mean, they're, they're not worried about attendance and ticket numbers. And, you know, I, I think it'll be fun. It'll be fun to watch. Um, you know, the third Major League Baseball Park, Yankees Pinstripe Bowl. And then I didn't realize Chase Field hosted the Cheez-It Bowl, which basically, Nate, 
you could name anything after a bowl game, right? <laughs> I mean, you could name it my mom's lasagna bowl or something hey, like that yeah. or just something random where, it, you know, it could be anything. But I think this is going to be fun to watch. It's going to be cool. And hopefully there will be some big teams there too. You know, not any, you know, low, low teams. Like, I guess they would want a team, you know, Virginia Tech is an example of an ACC team, maybe an American athletic team. You have a team like Cincinnati or UConn, and they could come in there, and that would be fun to watch. Yeah. For sure. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're going to break down a couple quotes, including something that a shortstop said comparing him to Jackie Robinson. We'll be right back. We are back, and you're listening to Runners in Scoring Position here on UCCS Radio, and we're talking Major League Baseball, as we always do. We just broke down some of the latest and not-so-greatest news for Major League Baseball. Now we're going into our topics segment. We don't really have a title for this one. Talk about. Talk about. Talk there about. we go. Talk about. We're going to talk about. Talk about. Okay. Indeed. <laughs> uh, so if you want to start us off with the and Addison Russell situation. Okay. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Addison Russell, um, essentially he was shortstop for the Chicago Cubs for quite a long time in this past offseason. He was uh, found by Major League Baseball to be abusing his wife, being involved in some domestic violent issue, violence issues, which is very disappointing for Addison Russell. Almost sp- suspended 40 games. Yep. So amongst that 40 games, he's allowed to rehab. So he was down rehabbing in Mesa, Arizona, where the Cubs hold their spring training. He was also, um, he's been rehabbing throughout some of the minors, in, including AAA Iowa Cubs, which is in Des Moines. So he's been rehabbing down there. Uh, the Cubs actually came out and said that Russell will be optioned down to AAA Iowa for a few weeks following this, which is pretty big news. Um, yep. Most people assume that Russell is just going to go right from rehab to Major League Baseball and play again. Um, but I, I actually kind of like this move, Nate, because okay. I think this is a way for the Cubs to kind of ground him and decrease the sense of entitlement yeah. in Russell. Because I think he had in his mind, and obviously I'm not a mind reader, so I can't yeah. read what he's thinking. <laughs> yep. But I bet he assumed that he was just going to go, okay, rehab 40 games under the bridge, and I'm just going to go right up to the Cubs organization act like nothing happened. Yeah. I think this, this is a good move. And I think the Cubs kind of figured out their infield now, and it'll be a question of what they do with David Boat and yeah. some of the other, you know, infielders who are kind of juggling for a roster spot right now, and then see what happens when Russell, you know, comes back up eventually. When that would be, I don't know, but I like this. And I, and Nate, this is kind of a question for you. Yeah. If you remember in that. Chicago club, Chicago, I was going to say Chicago clubs, Chicago mm-hmm. Cubs clubhouse. Mm-hmm. How would you treat Addison Russell coming back up? And how would that differ from when you treated him before you about this? I think personally, nothing really changes like with your personal interactions with the person. But I do think what would change is accountability. And we thought you talked a little bit about, you know, entitlement and stuff like that this is a very serious issue domestic violence is a very serious issue and with sports a lot of i think the problems with 
how they've handled these instances, whether it's punishment, so on, is accountability. And you see a lot of repeat offenders in different forms, different ways, and it's not really addressed well in sports. No one's really found a good way to talk about it. No one's found a good way to punish. And there's just, and with that, because they haven't found that middle ground, accountability's lost. So if I'm a teammate of him, I'm more accountable. I'm asking a little more questions. You know, I, I'm probably checking in with his wife. I'm checking in with different things. I think as a person, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to neglect him. And some might, some might just turn their backs and be like, no, I don't want to associate myself with you. But I think the important thing for these players to do is not necessarily turn his their back on him, but kind of face him and say, you know, what you did was not okay. And, you know, there's serious consequences to those actions and checking in with him and his family and really keeping him accountable so that, you know, this doesn't happen. It shouldn't have happened in the first place, but it doesn't happen again. Be more involved with his life, be leaders in the clubhouse, making sure that everything is okay mentally for him, as well as for his family, just checking in a lot more with them because these women and these family members are usually caught up in this. They're neglected. They're usually shamed for whatever reason. And the players should also step up and embrace the family as yep. well. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think if I were a member of the clubhouse with Addison Russell, I think I would treat him, I'd maybe just act a little differently towards him. I think anyone who resorts to domestic violence or abuse as their form of communication are obviously not educated on ways to communicate. Yep. And it's sad that Addison Russell had to resort to that in order to get his message across, for sure. Um, okay, now on a lighter note, who is more likely to cool down first? The Tampa Rays, who are second in the AL right now, or the Minnesota Twins? I think right now, we were talking about just this, excuse me, during the break. I think the Twins are more likely to cool down. They have a tough stretch okay. ahead of them. I mean, they had a tough stretch with the Astros, and they did great against that, taking three or four, which at home was great. Uh, but the Yankees in New York, that's going to be tough. I yeah. Mean, because the Yankees are good. Even with their guys injured right now, they're still good. And Yankee Stadium, at least for me, would be an intimidating place to play. Yeah. So I think Twins likely to cool down. I say the Rays. Okay. And I think I'm thinking more a little more long term, like hot cold sort of situations. I think you might be right with the short term, like next couple weeks, probably. But we're talking long term here, and you can see hot streaks go. They'll follow you all the way to the playoffs. I just, in my mind, I do not see the Red Sox and Yankees continuing, especially the Red Sox, continuing struggles. I think they're going to heat up, and they're going to be playing the Rays a lot. That's why it's so it's kind of unfair to the Rays that they have arguably two of the best teams, you know, just roster-wise, not necessarily how they're playing now, in their division that they're going to have to play quite a few times. The Twins, as we kind of mentioned earlier, Every other team in their division is struggling, and they can take advantage of that. That's one of the benefits of being in a struggling division. You just win more games because yep. everyone else is struggling. So, um, yeah, I think it's pretty cool to watch. So I, I think the Rays probably cool down. But if we're being real honest, the way they're both playing right now, recently, you know, the Twins are 7-3 and three last 10, Rays 6-4. and four. 
I don't see this ending anytime soon for either team. I think yeah. both teams are the probably playoff teams. We'll just have to see kind of where it's good. They, yeah, end yeah. Up. I like that. All right. So this is the part where I question all of my baseball knowledge, and I just think, why? Why would someone say that? Yeah. Okay. Chicago White Sox shortstop. We teased this at the break. Chicago White Sox. White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson recently came out with an article and he interviewed with someone and he said, quote, I kind of feel like I'm today's Jackie Robinson, unquote, Anderson said. That's huge to say because he changed the game and I feel like I'm getting to the point where I need to change the game. Okay. Now I'm going to critique this quote and Nate stop me if i'm starting to rant yeah okay jackie robinson didn't yep. change the game by backflipping and hitting massive home runs okay amen he changed the game because he was the first african-american baseball player to play in a sport that was predominantly whites only okay tim anderson is not the first african-american <laughs> baseball player to play in 2019 yeah you're right. He is not. I okay? stuck on that, but, you, you are know. not changing the game. Yep. And you cannot compare yourself to Jackie Robinson. No one should compare themselves to Jackie Robinson. Okay? No one will ever be Jackie Robinson. You will never get to the point where you say, yes, I changed the game like Jackie Robinson did. You yep. are not equivalent. Do not ever compare yourself to Jackie Robinson and say you are ever changing the game like Jackie Robinson because sweetie you're not okay let's oh, let's run that through your head he's, he's getting serious well now. I'm just it's such an absurd comparison yeah it's such an absurd comparison and I think we I think we both and I do for sure know what I kind of get where he's coming from I can track his argument and kind of place like you know what he's saying that makes a little more sense and I think what he's kind of saying is baseball predominantly, you know, is boring and there's not a lot of excitement. And the fact that bat flipping is a huge conversation kind of shows how traditional this sport is right now. And he believes that he's ushering in a new era of celebrations, excitement and whatnot. But to compare that to a man who had a brave racist America is ignorant for the most part and just ill-informed i was talking to charlie off the air and i was saying that if he had said like michael jordan michael jordan yeah, changed the, changed the game fair. of basketball that's fair like i'm or even ken griffey jr ken griffey jr great there's a baseball reference for you that you can use it just makes no sense maybe he just like had a different name in mind but since jackie robinson day was so close by he panicked and chose jackie robinson I don't really know why he decided to go that route. It doesn't make sense. It's really ignorant if you just think about the history of Jackie Robinson. And really him saying that, especially when we're talking about young people listening to this quote, it really softens the impact of Jackie Robinson. Because a lot of people don't understand how brave and how big that jump was in that time period. And all the risks that Jackie Robinson had to take for himself and his family. And for Tim, Ro Tim Anderson to say that is 
just not fair to the Robins, Jackie Robinson's no, legacy. It's not fair to his family. And imagine his family hearing that. <laughs> Some players saying, yeah, I compare myself to Jackie Robinson the way I changed the game. They must be just shaking their heads right now. Yeah, a player who no one really knew of until a couple weeks ago, if we're being quite honest. Yeah, and he hit his 50th career home run. And, Tim Anderson, I'm going to be blunt with you. At this point, you're not anywhere near the player Jackie Robinson was, and you're not making the Hall of Fame. I'm telling no, you right now, you not are not. And, Tim, I hope you're hearing this. Why don't you come on? Our last show is <laughs> next Thursday. Okay, well, come on and defend yourself here. Because he's not. I mean, he's not yeah. a... Jackie Robinson-esque player. No, not at all. That's just, that's what's irritating to me is he thinks that he can compare himself to a guy like that. That just, that must go through your head and say, no one will ever compare to Jackie Robinson. Yep. One of one, one of a kind will never be compared. And that's what irritates me is there's guys like that, and I'm not saying there's been other guys, but there's, you know, People who think they can compare himself to a cultural icon. Okay, yeah. Jackie Robinson was a cultural icon. He was a trendsetter. He set ways for players to come in and not feel like it's such a big thing to be playing baseball. Yeah. And like you said, I understand where he's coming from, but you need to use a different reference. You need to say Ken Griffey Jr. Or maybe Barry Bonds with the backwards hat and the double ears pierced, or something where you're bringing back kind of that swaggering and that fun 100%. style of baseball. Yeah. And I think, like I said, Ken Griffey Jr., fantastic example. Okay, the master of swag. He was the kid, Jr. Everyone knew Ken Griffey Jr., backwards yep. hat, hitting oh, yeah. bombs. Okay, maybe Tim Anderson could be like that. But when he said, I compare myself to Jackie Robinson or similar to those words I had to look at the quote again and I had to look and I said I'm not reading this wrong am I I to me this is just such a big it's such a disgrace to Jackie Robinson yeah I I don't know I can't I mean we could talk we could do a whole other podcast saying how wrong he is yeah and I just think the historical Ignorance is the biggest part. It was just Jackie Robinson Day. Major League Baseball yeah, continues, yep. continues to educate both their players and fans about Jackie Robinson's impact. And for the whole, why you said, you know, using his name is just ridiculous. It's kind of like why Major League Baseball and Budweiser were, you know, a lot of people were upset with them because they used Jackie Robinson's name to basically sell beer. So there's a lot of problems with that and i really think maybe there needs to be more education about jackie robinson and his impact all right so i guess this is a really historical but maybe a political side of things uh will alex core go to the white house is our next topic here i think he will and you know not to throw opinions into this conversation necessarily sure alex cora is puerto rican and a lot of people seem unaware or are not 100% sure, but Puerto Rico is part of the United States. It's not a state, it's a territory, but it is part of the United States. Gets all the funds. They can't uh, elect any Congress people or something like that, but they have their own government. They are available for uh, aid. Uh, Puerto Ricans can be in the military. 
a whole lot of things. They are American citizens. Yes, You don't absolutely. need a passport. It is, although it's an island, it is part of the United States of America. And there's been a lot of conversation on how much aid the United States gave Puerto Rico after the devastating hurricanes. If any. If any. Hurricanes that hit the islands. And a lot of people like just don't go to the White House because they feel like Alex Cora won't be heard. But I think Alex Cora, Cora would like to go to the White House so he can make sure his voice is heard. So he can say how he feels. How his family has been Im- impacted. He is very much, you know, his family is still in Puerto Rico. And he knows what's going on a little more than the media might be letting people on to. And so I think it's important for him. And he does not seem like he's going to force his players. I think there might be a pretty good chance. It's just Alex Cora at the White House. But I think he wants to make sure his voice is heard. I think you're right. And I think this this is important because obviously Cora is not the only Puerto Rican player on the Red Sox. No. Even in Major League Baseball, he's one of many. So I think maybe if Cora goes, it would be good because he can kind of, as you said, be a voice and kind of talk about what happened because from what I've seen, it just, you know, I think Puerto Rico is still kind of in shambles and they're still recovering. They are. And from what I've seen, and again, as what Nate said, and I'll reiterate it, I'm not trying to base opinions, but I think there's still a lot of work to be done down there. And from what I've seen recently, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of efforts or a lot of people who are actively working towards rehabilitating Puerto Rico. Yeah. And I think by Alex Cora going to the White House, he provides a voice and he brings it back up in the conversation again, which is a, which is what people need. Because they need it to be brought back up and for a reminder to say, oh yeah, we can't forget about Puerto Rico. We can't forget about our people down there. Yeah. Because... You know, they mean a lot to the culture and the construct of the way the United States is. So, but I completely understand his reasoning not to go. And on the other hand, you know, I wouldn't want to be served fast food at the White House anyway either. So that's a, that's another story for another time. Yeah. But, and I think it's important because yeah. I feel like a lot of players also probably share a sentiment. Yep. But as a manager, you, one, he'll probably be respected a little more and... I think his word is going to have a lot more weight. And yeah. I think I it, it's really going to be upsetting for me if he's not heard. If it if you know we see video of the interaction and just you can tell no one's listening to him. I that's my worst fear of this is he's going to feel like he's just talking to no one. Yeah. And, and he really wants to make an impact for his family, for his people, and for players and other people that are impacted by this in Puerto Rico. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. All right, Nate, I saw this a couple days ago. Yep. Will the Toronto Blue Jays trade all of their stars? And by I mean all of their stars, I mean three. Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, Justin Smoke. And Nate, what is the advantage of doing that? There is no advantage. <laughs> I, I don't see any advantage. It makes no sense to me. If I'm a Toronto fan, I don't want to be a Toronto fan. Because that, that to me, is just upsetting. They're third in the AL East right now. 14 and 16, they're still third. 
very much playoff contention right now when we're talking about the thick of things right now. Not a lot of teams are doing super hot right now in Major League Baseball. Sitting at 14-16 is a pretty good spot right now. Why would you risk that, you know? These guys have brought you to this point, and they'll bring you to the next point. It makes no sense to me. Of course, I'm not a GM. There might be some logistics I'm not thinking about. But when you told this to me, and I, I heard a little bit about the Stroman stuff, but like all of their stars makes no sense to me. Yeah, I agree. I guess the only advantage of doing that is for the Blue Jays to construct a rebuild and build their team around the prospects that are coming up. I think that would be the only advantage of doing so. Yeah. I would keep Strowman and Sanchez and I would get rid of Smoke. I don't know what you would get for Smoke in regards to Sanchez and Strowman just because Smoke is a little older and has been around longer and Sanchez and Strowman are still relatively young and maybe in the middle or the later years of their prime. Yep. But I would say... Yeah, I, I would trade Smoke. I don't know what you get for him, like I said. And then maybe hold on to Stroman and Sanchez until it looks like or it makes it evident that they won't sign any contract extensions. Yep. So. All right, our last one. Does Vlad Guerrero Jr. stay the entire year in Toronto? I say he does. I think... I second that motion. I think he's too good to be sent down to Buffalo, and I think they're going to see it in numbers and revenue. It's going to drop. Because 100%. people want to go see Vlad. Yep. People want to go see, you know, the reincarnate of Hall of Famer Vlad Guerrero right. and bring it back to his Canadian roots, you know, being born in Canada. Um, and with, you know, Vlad playing in Montreal. In Montreal. Yep. yep. So I think Vlad Guerrero Jr. stays the entire year. I think they're silly not to. And I think you just got to keep bringing these prospects up who are ready because Blue Jays need a little more. They need to get fire. Sales. A little more fire. They yep. need, yeah, they need yep. spark. Young people. I mean, besides Drake and Kawhi, what else is there to do in Toronto? So. Really nothing else. That's right. And just to go back to the last point, I agree with everything Charlie just said. Aaron Sanchez, he is from the high desert like myself. And we have the same area code, 760. So I feel like we're one in the same. So hopefully yeah. he stays in Toronto. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Do we want to talk about the rookie of the year? Or do we want to come back after the break? Let's come back after the break and we'll talk yeah. about rookie of the year. Because the rookie of the year is... We'll be right in. Welcome back to Runners in Scoring Position. Back. I'm Nate Jones still, and... He's now changed. He's now Charles. No, it's Charlie's oh, still with me. Okay. <laughs> I was trying something new. Sure, I didn't we have know. Lots of laughs here yeah, on yeah, the show. Lots <laughs> of laughs. You know, we're we're the jokesters. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna okay. talk about uh, Major League Baseball's Rookie of the Year, oh. and who Charlie thinks it's gonna be. Because really, <laughs> I don't know who's a rookie right now. And then we'll talk some NBA draft. I know this is a baseball show, but we're kind of light on baseball news right now. So we're gonna talk about the NBA draft. Why Zion's gonna go fifth? And all that and more here on this last little bit of the show. All right, let's get into it. Okay, AL Rookie of the Year. Now, AL Rookie of the Year, it could be a variety of players. I think it's going to go to Tampa's outfielder, Brandon Lowe. And that's who I think is going to be Rookie okay. of the Year. Early projection, but he's looking good so far. Now, NL Rookie of the Year. Hotly contested. Yep. I think it could be either 
one of these two players. Okay. Tatis Jr., who we talked about, even though missing time, I think he's still going to be up there. Or Peter Alonzo. Goes by okay. Pete Alonzo. A little more casual. Yeah. Uh, I think it goes to Pete Alonzo. He's such a good player. And he was in Las Vegas for way too long, the AAA team. Yeah. Way too long. But now he's with the Mets, and he's doing great in Queens. So I think NL Rookie of the Year, Pete Alonzo. Outfield or first baseman with the Mets, Brandon Lowe, outfielder, Tampa Bay Raves. That is my prediction. Lock in. All right. I second those. Okay. (laughs) There you go. I don't know why. All right, Nate. All right. We're talking NBA NBA draft draft for switching. We're the official crossover podcast. Let's also, before we touch on the uh, NBA draft, let's revisit our draft takes from last week. Okay. So I went one for two. You went. Oh, one, one. Did you say Kyle Murray number one overall? I think you did. Yeah, I think so I did. I said I didn't agree two. with it, but I because <laughs> you said the Broncos were going to take Dwayne Haskins, and he slid all the way down to the Washington Redskins, fifteenth yep. overall. Um, I was right with McGarrett Bradbury pick. I was unfortunately not right with the Quinnen Williams pick. He went to the Jets originally thought, but. I, it's going to be such an interesting season. And like I've said before, the NFL draft is one of my favorite times of the year. I mean, it's so much fun watching and yep. then seeing the fans' faces when a third-round pick goes number six overall. May or may not be talking about quarterback Daniel Jones from Duke. May or may not. Yeah. Potentially. But apparently Daniel Jones has the mind of Peyton Manning and Eli Manning combined. So we'll see. We'll see how this goes. I I just think a guy who you could have taken at 17, you picked six, and he really wasn't even supposed to go in the first round if the draft was next year because there's a lot of top quarterbacks being taken next yep. year. And if you were looking at the projections, he would have been the third-round pick, but instead he's a sixth-overall pick. So yep. good for him. So, All right, Nate. NBA draft talk. I'm going to ask you a question. Start it out right away. All right. The obvious. Zion Williamson is the number one overall pick in this draft. No matter how you slice it, no matter what happens, I think he'd be the number one overall pick if he just had one leg. Oh, yeah. And had one arm and just kind of played like with a hand behind his back. Yeah. I think he'd be great. Um, In what scenario is Zion Williamson not a number one pick? Okay, I, I think it's it depends on the lottery. And a lot of uh, NBA draft experts have the Phoenix Suns taking uh, John Ja Morant, Morant uh, from Murray State, point guard. Uh, he is declared for the draft. A lot of people are saying that the Phoenix Suns like him so much, if they get the first, they take him. I don't... There's a lot of conversation. We talked about this last week when we were talking about the NFL draft. Do you go with the best fit for your team or do you go with the best available? Especially when it comes to number one pick. I think the Phoenix Suns, what they should do is just trade, pick one for pick two, then take, if they're number one, then just take Ja second. I don't think it makes sense to pass up Zion Williamson, who in my opinion is once in a generational talent over someone who you think fits better for your team. One, I think they could use Zion really well in Phoenix, no matter what. He'd be a great one, too, with Aiden. Pretty cool matchup there. But then we're going, you know, 
they kind of need a point guard. That whole team to me is a mess. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, what do you think? Do you think it's realistic to take someone other than Zion? Absolutely first? not. No, I, I think Zion is the clear pick for number one. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think you take Zion all the way. Unless there is something that we don't know, which is could be the case. You know, most sometimes there's injury concerns or an undiagnosed medical issue that we don't know about. I think he goes one, and I, I don't know. I just think John Morant's good, but I think if Phoenix gets the number one overall selection here, I yeah. think you have to go Zion. I think any team, if they're smart enough, you go Zion. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just think Zion is the clear pick here. So, and in all of the mock drafts I'm seeing, Zion is number one, no matter what happens. Yeah, so. I I think so too. There's a lot, and I don't know. There's, I think this is a pretty deep draft when you're talking yeah. about impact players for each team. I don't think there's. I think there's probably three superstars. And I think they're going to go one, two, three. And I think that's Shaw, Zion, and RJ. Yep. And I think one of those three can be a bust. And I don't think, you know, I don't think any of the busts come from Duke. I think Jock will be the bust if any of these three busts. I think the other two have such raw talent that no matter where they go, they'll make an impact. They might not be in perennial all-star, all-NBA year, but they'll make an impact one way or another. Ja could easily end up in China in four yep. or five years. I don't think he will, but... I don't think he will either. I think he has a lot of potential, but I think he relies more on what team drafts him. Yep. If a really bad team, bad organization, we're, we're looking at you, Phoenix, picks him, it's going to hurt him, I think, more than it helps him. And, yeah. I think the Suns should pick RJ over Ja. I think Ja is the third best player in this draft. That's my opinion. Sure. And to be honest, I didn't watch a lot of him before the tournament. He was on a poorly coached team. One thing that changes, in my opinion, is if they land Monty Williams, which Monty is won by every team that needs a coach right now, that conversation changes a bit for me. What do you think? Because I think if he's coached better, I think he if he's coachable things change a little bit. From what I saw, it seems like that he was kind of a streaky player. And I think it's sort of an off and on talent. I think Ja has the potential to be a top five point guard in the NBA. And I could even go and saying that he's a top 15 point guard the day he plays basketball in the NBA. Okay. I think he's that talented and he's that good. And I know a mid-major doesn't have the best competition, but the way he played in the NCAA tournament, I think just proves that he has the talent. And if he is coached and utilized correctly by a team with an effective offensive system, that John Morant will succeed in the NBA. I just think right now he'll succeed in the NBA. Yeah. Um, I think the matter is where he goes and what, you know, kind of what happens from there. I yeah. think I think he's a top three pick no matter how you slice it, okay. no matter what happens. Yeah, I think John Morant 
I think has the potential to be good, but it's just the matter of who is coaching him and who develops him because really that's how, you know, that's what matters, right? I mean, we see a lot of these talents who are just aren't developed correctly. Yeah. And these players who aren't good. And then they go to another team and they turn out to be phenomenal. Yeah. No, I so, you see that a lot. Um, I think Zion number one. I think it's either Zion one, RJ and Ja. I think it's not going to be any of those top three, unless Jarrett Culver for some reason sneaks into the top three. Yeah, and, I think he he sits in five. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, obviously, it's another successful year for Duke, right? Because you have three of your starting five going the top five picks. Yeah, that's phenomenal. I mean, Trey Jones, I think, was smart to stay another year. Um. I don't know where he would have gone, respectively. I think the first point guard taken was Sylvan Ja, um, and then maybe he's in contention for two or three number point guard taken. But I mean, you got Darius Garland, and I think he'll go top fifteen for sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, what else do you think? I, I think another thing I want to talk about with you is if you're at the point where you see, you know, let's say. We're pick number five. Okay. And yep. we don't know who pick number five is yet. Yep. Let's say you're pick number five and all of the American players that you like off the board. Yep. Okay. But you're left with the number one international player available. Yeah. Now keep in mind, and Nate, you know this better than I do. A lot of times these international players don't really pan out. Yep. They pan out sometimes in the case of Luka Doncic, in my memory, is the most successful international player I've you know, seen get drafted in the past couple of years, for sure. So Doncic, but then you have a guy who is a great player, phenomenal, number one international prospect. Do you take the risk of taking that international prospect? Uh Or do you take a domestic player who will have a better chance of signing? Because Nate, once you draft the player, it doesn't guarantee they'll sign a contract. It guarantees you have their draft rights but it does not guarantee they would come overseas and play for you. Yeah, and sometimes it's you're looking at three, four years before... Yeah, development. It's just like here. minor league baseball. Yeah, and it's development. And sometimes it's like... In like a Luka Doncic case, they're signed on contracts for teams for a couple of years before they yeah. can come to. And they might be developed right away, but then they it'll take them a while to get over here. A team that's been very successful internationally has been the San Antonio Spurs. Absolutely. And Tim Duncan recently at his at a ceremony for Manu said, you know, he would be watching the draft and these names he's never heard of would pop up. He's like, Manu, it's a what? And you'd call Pop and say, who the heck is this? And he's like, it's going to be really good. Just you wait. So it pays off. It works really well. But to me, it's a lot safer at least for a fan perspective, to look and be like, okay, this guy's going to win because, yeah, you know, I yeah. like this guy better because I saw him in college. There's going to be a lot of that. So I think I'd go American before I go international. I think international, take a lot of risks in that second round. Draft all international oh, players yeah. in that second round. Because why not? Because, I mean, statistically... Or if you have multiple draft picks in yeah. a round... Then I go international. Like the Celtics have three in first the first round. round. Picks? Wow. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. And it's their first pick is uh probably gonna be fourteenth because they have Sacramentos. So they they they're uh, let me look at this. 
a lot of talent to work with. Oh yeah. And I and I agree with you on that because especially the Wolves, they have not had great history drafting international players. Yep. I mean, some would argue that our most successful international pick would probably be Ricky Rubio. And while he was with, I mean, okay, but while he was with the Wolves, he wasn't great. But with the Jazz, he's become sort of a mainstay player. Yeah, no. You're so, right with that. but then you kind of look at all Minnesota sports teams and you think, okay, there's not a lot of successful history of drafting anywhere. Um, you know, maybe for the exception with some of the Twins' recent picks have been good, and hopefully with the Vikings' recent picks. But I think international players, unless they're a proven talent and they have made a considerable effort to come over and play, and you talk to them in draft meetings and said, okay, are you going to come over and make an effort to come over? What's going to happen here? I think you take them. But I would not be surprised if you just if you pass on them and wait. Um, I think the Wolves here, I don't know what's going to happen and how the draft works because I haven't really been paying attention, but it looks like it's a consensus top five or so. And then from six all the way on, it seems like it could go... It could go anywhere. Yeah. So this is something, and Philip never agrees with me when I mention this. Y- hear me out. And so in this scenario, I want you to be the New York Knicks. Okay. Okay. So you're the New York Knicks right now. I am the Los Angeles Lakers. Before I was Magic Johnson, but now I'm just the Lakers at home. I am offering you Ingram and Kuzma and the 11th pick in the draft, most likely, for the number one pick. Zion Williamson. Do you give it to me? Okay, just so I'm clear, you're offering me Brandon Ingram, yep. small forward. Ish, yeah. Okay, Kuzma, shooting guard. Yep. Okay, 11th. And I'm for going the first. to throw in Ball to sweeten the deal. I would take that. I like that deal. I think that's fair. And you start the rebuild process. Because you still process. get the 11th overall pick. You're not losing any, you know, in, I mean, a number one overall pick. Okay, the Lakers get Zion. But then you think, are you giving up too much to get a talent who is so good? You understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you're giving up three fifths of your starting lineup to get one player, and there's no guarantee that he's going to be great. Okay, I mean, he could be Greg Oden. Yeah. So but, let me take the. So in my starting lineup, then I would have Kuzma and Ingram, and for the Knicks, who else would I have? Alonzo. Trier, would I have maybe Wesley Robinson? Yeah. I I mean, I would take that. I think Ball has potential. I don't know. I'm kind of biased because I'm a Lonzo Ball fan. So I I don't and know. I, I, I want him to I want to see him work out. But. Yeah. Despite the whole personal stuff going on with Chris Stops right now, if they hit, still had Chris Stops, okay. I think it's a no-brainer because you have a big man and all that. Uh, yeah, I think you take it without Kristaps, too. I mean, because I think at 11, you could address the issue of power forward. Yeah. Right? I mean, because that's still... Did I say... I, I meant Mitchell Robinson, not Wesley Robinson. Yeah. Um, I think I was picking up what you're putting down. Okay, so... Because of point guard, you got Nick Kina, You have DSJ, right? Kevin Knox. Okay, so you're set in the front court. Backcourt area is where you could address power forward and i think at 11 you could still get a power a good power forward and maybe you know you could move a guy see power forward in basketball it's such a hard position 
because center and power forward intangibly are two different things. Because in most cases, you cannot move a center to power forward and power forward to center because center is a lot more variable on height. Like, you, like for example, mate, you can't move a guy like Bull Bull to power forward. He just would never fit at a power forward position because yep. he's too tall and lanky. Yep. But power forward, I mean, you could take a guy like Brandon Clark, power forward from Gonzaga at 11 and address that issue. And I think it would benefit the Knicks because you would have a lot of depth at point guard because you have some of the top three youngest point guards. You have Ball, you got Nitkina, and you have Mitchell Robbins. Yeah. A lot of this is like who you're leaving the team with. So in the Lakers' sense, there they would be missing a point guard. Yep. Now, looking at free agents, there there's a pretty good class of free agent point guards. It's been rumored quite a lot, but Kyrie Irving, would he go back to play with LeBron? That, that's the best option there. I think if the Celtics win this series, he stays with the Celtics. Yep. If they don't, I think the door's wide open. Kemba Walker, that one to me that's a big one. is fascinating. If the Lakers are able to get him... I think that's pretty great. Then there's Gordon Drogic. I always butcher his yeah, name. Yeah, Miami. He's he's available. Yeah. He's been a little less effective as recently. Yep. Ricky Rubio, Derek Rose, Terry Rozier, Patrick Beverly, Darren Collison, Rajon Rondo, and Isaiah Thomas, I think, kind of round out the top 13 there. But even like TJ McConnell, he's going to be available. Uh, Emmanuel Moutier. Like, there are some decent players available point guard wise so if i'm the south not Celtics, if i'm the lakers i don't worry too much about that when we're looking at the knicks and they need a center i think there's a little more worry there now let's say the suns have the number one pick <clears throat> to me since they're so infatuated jaw obviously they think they need a point guard they're going to get guards forwards all that from Suns, and obviously they, this could be a three-team deal. They could move some pieces different places to make it to entice it a little more. With Aiton as their center, they don't really need a Zion. Yeah, the Knicks arguably do need a Zion. Okay, let's let's since we're talking hypotheticals here, three-team trade: Knicks, Lakers, Suns. Suns, yep. The Knicks send either Nitkina. Or DSJ to the Suns yep. for a center or power forward, whether that be not Aiton, because they wouldn't get rid of Aiton. But I think a, they would, though. Well, okay, so let's do this again, then. So Suns, Lakers, Knicks are all involved. So the yeah. Suns move Aiton to New York okay. for Nitkina and a center whether that be, or a power forward, whether that be Hazonia, or they move a, move another point guard. Yep. In return, the Lakers trade their 11th pick for, they trade 11th in Ingram, and, let's see, 11th Ingram, and they trade Kuzma for the number one overall pick. I think that would be a fun three-team scenario. I don't think it would be realistic, though. Because I know you said the Suns would get rid of Aiton, but at what expense? Yeah. That's the issue. I don't think it happens. I would love for it to happen. I, w I want some trade drama here. I want yeah. 
LeBron James is going to be tough on this Lakers front office. He wants someone. And if he's... It really... We we both believe, realistically, there is a way for the Lakers to get Zion. Yep. Why don't you do it? I think there's a chance Kawhi ends up on... The Lakers need another superstar. LeBron James proved this year. He can no longer carry a team on his own. That's right. He needs someone else. Can you imagine how freaking fun Zion and LeBron playing together would be? LeBron's passing and Zion's finishing ability? Yeah. To me, that's that's so much fun. And I can't wait to see that in Space Jam 2 because I also believe Zion's going to be in Space Jam 2. Well, if, you know... If he has a Nike deal, he will be. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't. then that's why, you know, some of the other players, because Steph Curry has Who do you think? Deal. So, I love talking about Zion. To me, you could write a book on him right now. Good, we should. Let's do it. <laughs> Anyways, when we're talking about Zion, obviously that whole shoe incident early in the season impacts who he chooses. Apparently, Nike was very great in how they handled the situation. He still had to wear Nikes the rest of the season. We saw no problems. To me, it makes no sense anyone else to sign with anyone but Nike if you're the best player. Who do you think he goes to otherwise? Under Armour for ugly shoes, New Balance for boring shoes, Puma for a risky deal like Aiden did? I think you have to go Nike. You have to, right? But then again, the best player in the draft went with Puma and DeAndre Aiden. And that's such a big risk. I know. Because they don't even have that much Puma money. Puma is, you think, at least for me, I think of Puma and I think soccer. I That's think, what I think. I think cool soccer cleats worn by all the international Bolt. soccer. Yeah, Usain Bolt. I do not think of DeAndre Ayton going up for a jump shot. And keep in mind, he doesn't shoot many jump shots the way they've been playing, but that's a different story. Yeah. Um, I think you have to go Nike, and I think you trust that this was just a fluke injury. But then again, Zion is a fluke in the way that he's just so strong and such a generational talent that you're not going to have another Zion. I mean, you're not going to have a number one overall recruit have something where his foot just flies through. Yeah. Again. So we'll see. And on-air production meeting, I'm going to input that trade that I talked about into the NBA trade machine. Okay, We're going to see if it works. I don't know if it's going to work. We will see. Keep in mind. Okay. So we're sending DSJ to the Suns. And the Suns are going to send Aiton to the Knicks. Okay. Now, I think from there, the Lakers would then trade. Well, we can't trade picks here. So let's just try a straight Aiton for Dennis Smith Jr. trade here. Okay. Let's see if that works. So the trade did not work because the Knicks would already be over their salary cap plus their luxury tax. Okay. So either way, the Knicks aren't going to work. I mean, this trade isn't going to work unless you're trading a low-end vet or someone who doesn't make a lot of money from the G League and try to prorate their salary. But we'll see. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting how the draft plays out. Um, You know, obviously we're winding down on our time here. I think it's going to be fun. Um, yeah. So I, I'm looking at what shoes Zion was wearing. Yeah. He was wearing the PG's, PG 2.5s, the second last release in Paul George's signature Nike collection that de- debuted April 2018. Why is he playing a Paul George shoe? He should be playing in a LeBron shoe. If we're talking about 
what he needs out of a shoe. And I understand he likes it because it's versatile, it's lightweight. He should be playing in the bronze because yep. if we're talking about physical abilities, he's a lot closer to LeBron than he is a... The dude's, what, 6'8", 285? He might even be taller than that. Yep. He's a linebacker playing basketball. Yes. So he should have shoes that more represent. We can talk about maybe PGs were the only ones available to him. There's a whole other issue about NCAA and that machine, but in what shoes they're allowed to wear. And, you know, maybe the best shoe for him was not available to him. Yeah. I think Zion signs Nike. I don't think there's another better option for him. It'll be interesting to see. Let me give you a scenario here. Let's say Zion Williamson was a football player. Yeah. Would he have been the top tight end taken in the NFL draft? Yeah. Because yeah, so too. Yeah. A lot of people disagree with me on this, but I think he's our next LeBron. Unless he busts, which he definitely could. Yeah. But I think he's going to usher in a new era. Of a prospects. new era. Yeah. Because Durant too old, Paul George too old, because they've they played with LeBron. Yeah. LeBron has maybe three years left. Maybe. You think? Or do you think LeBron tries to hold out and plays with Bronny Jr.? I think he has three very good years okay, left. Okay, yeah. I think he then plays with the Sun. But, and he has three years left on this Lakers deal. And I, I think that's the idea. Speculation here, and I may not have a show when this happens, and I may not be able to reap these awards. This is ridiculous, but he plays his last three years with the Lakers. He goes back to Cleveland for one year with Bronny. Do you think Bronny goes to Cleveland, though? I think, is Cleveland going to do anything in the next four years to not be a number one pick? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. But I'm at, Okay, just imagine this. Imagine Bronny Jr., LeBron, and Carmelo. <laughs> New York Knicks. You think Carmelo's going to be alive in four hey, years? Hey, <laughs> Carmelo might have a cane. You know, you never know, but he might still play. Um, uh, oh... Oh, this is so much fun to talk about. I love what ifs. They're my favorite part about sports. I I just think there's a chance that LeBron doesn't really care where he ends up at that late in his career. Yeah. Because I feel like his main goal here, he accomplished his main goal, which is bringing a championship to Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah, Over so he doesn't need to go back to Cleveland. Maybe what he... About, yeah, I just think he'll end up... With the Denver Nuggets. <sighs> Sweet. Um... Yeah, him and Bronny Jr. live together. I think he'll go wherever Bronny Jr. goes. I don't think it's dependent. I don't think... I mean, Bronny Jr. is not going to have a lot of control where he goes out of the draft. And it I depends, think, you know, how well Duke is when Bronny Jr. plays there. I think... I Yeah, I mean, that's true. You never know. Duke could have a horrible season. They could miss the NCAA tournament. And I love how it's like kind of... The way things are going. Duke. <laughs> where, well, where else would he go? Do you think he'd go to UCLA? Maybe. Maybe. Good uh, place for Akron. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a D2 school. Oh, man. Yeah. I At this point, it doesn't really matter where he's going to college because he's going to be a top five pick whenever he's eligible. Yeah. I think Coach K might have retired by then. I could very well see that happening. He has a lot of health issues, too. Yeah. So I think that factors into it. We're looking at the next best college coach. It's Cal Party, right? Cal Party, lifetime deal. I mean, maybe you could look at Jay Wright. 
Villanova, maybe. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I think uh, you can also look at Tom Izzo. I think he's a very good coach. Tom Izzo, but he's on the older side, too. I mean, Jay Wright's a lot younger. Calipari's younger-ish. Just, yeah. But uh, he maybe is. I mean, he's locked in. Yep. So he's for sure staying with Kentucky. So that's... Which is such a sweet deal, by the way. Lifetime deal. I mean, you could go 0 for 33. I don't even know if there's... Yeah. And it'd be good. You don't have to worry. That's ultimate job security. Ultimate yeah. job security. Yeah, I could see him going there. UCLA, USC, you know. Big, I just feel like UCLA and USC would be attractive because LeBron's playing at LA. I he'll mean, he, he'll go to high school in LA. Home in, yeah, he goes to Crossroads High School, which is in California. Bring UCLA basketball back to prominence. I mean, you That's know. That's what Ball was, the Ball, ball family was. Exactly. You put Bronny Jr. in there, you get a <clears throat> uptick in season ticket holders. I mean, UCLA didn't even make tournament this year. Neither did yeah, USC. Neither USC. So they need and something USC, to kind of spark. Don't they still have the FG... FGCU coach? coach? Yeah, I forget his name, but it's kind of gone under the radar. Let me look. But... Yeah, and it seems like every once in a while, USC is suddenly like good again, but then they're bad again. Yeah, like two years ago, they made the tournament. Yeah, because it, it, he seems like a decent coach. Yeah, Andy coach. Enfield, yeah. Yep, and... Florida Gulf Coast, and well, now we haven't heard anything from him. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, that would be awesome. I just think, oh, Bronny Jr. and that maroon. and I could even, I don't know. It, it all depends on what he feels about Spotlight, too, I think. Yeah, great movie, by the way. Yeah, that is a really good movie. Yeah. Want to talk about Spotlight? For now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've seen that movie like four times recently. It's a good movie. That's a, such a good movie. Uh, by the way, USC basketball sixteen and seventeen last year, and UCLA seventeen and sixteen. Wow! So you would think they're right next door to each other. You would think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, we are done for this ever. week. Forever. No. Well, next week. Next week, last show ever. Last show ever? Question mark. I think. I think it will be last show ever. I think it will be. I think instead of covering actual content next week. I think we're just going to do a best of, and we're just going to recap everything. Maybe we'll, I don't know if Nate has the ability to play back some interviews. Yeah. We can do, we'll that do that. Just kind of kill some time. It'll be, it's yeah. going to be fun. It'll be sad next week because obviously this has meant a lot to us, but, you know, it'll be good to kind of recap the good moments and. Yeah, we'll do best of. Best if you guys of. want to, send us your favorite episodes, quotes, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, the person who's been running quotes hasn't really done it in a while, but if I. I let them know. I bet they'd be happy to help out and bring some yeah. good memories back because there's a lot of, a lot of Easter eggs and a lot of bloopers. And then maybe I can cut something together for us. So yeah, and I can sing "I Will Remember You" by Sarah McLaughlin over the, with the piano thing. undertone. I will. Yeah, just yeah. like that. Uh, if I remember the number seven one nine four two eight six one nine one. If that is not the number, then I'm sorry for the person who ever has that number because obviously. That is not the right number. Yeah. Anyway, we will talk to you guys next week. Yeah, we will. And so we'll do, we'll probably do like baseball news and then yep. we'll do a best of episode. And, you know, we'll do live on air. Charlie will decide his next destination. I will decide. His, yeah. His education. That's right. He'll bring in hats and everything. Yeah, I'll commit. I'll sign a contract. Yep. It'll be great. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. So we'll see you there. Bye.